This is my comeback. This is my comeback story. This is Trey Lewis with Good Landing Recovery, and you're listening to the Comeback. Good morning. This is Trey Lewis. Excited to be here on the Comeback this morning, as the weather is starting to turn here in Atlanta. I think it was 29 degrees this morning as I headed to the gym. So this morning, as we are continuing our theme, I don't know if I'll ever come off of this theme <laughs> of having uh, guests who have powerful stories of God's transforming love and uh, talking about his ability to be able to reach down into utter darkness and where everything seems hopeless, everything seems lost. It doesn't seem like that anybody can break in to an individual whenever they're in this this state, but God, who is rich in mercy and is faithful, you know, never runs into a situation where he cannot deliver. So this morning, I have my friend and my brother Glenn on the show this morning, who uh, runs an organization, a 501c3 uh, called Across the Bridge, where they reach hundreds of people every single week who are in recovery and are on, you know, really frontline, you know, ministry where uh, people who are, are just getting their their feet wet, just coming out of active addiction. I mean, still still smelling like smoke um, coming coming out of that, and it's just really cool to to see this this organization grow. Um, I was there um, with him at inception and and just to see his heart and he's he's done this um, for 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 years now um, you know probably 10 20 years plus that he's done this type of ministry and so now to see it you know be incorporated and to see it getting traction and community support is just really awesome so I've got Glenn on here this morning Glenn we love you we honor you would you please tell us your story thank you brother. First of all, I'm so happy and honored to be a part of what we're doing here, man. I love you, and uh, it's been a great ride here, brother. And it has. It really has. <laughs> I love the description. <laughs> Smelling the smoke. I know, man. <laughs> That's what we did. That's right. We're right on the front line, brother. Yep. <laughs> Nobody wants to be there with us, but except for maybe you and a few others. <laughs> but we're there for them. That's right. Well, I tell you what, I had to write down my story, man, because it's so complicated, and I, I've got... Serious ADHD, so <laughs> if you hear that. some pages going, it's because I wrote everything down. It took me four hours to write this out wow. and edit it out, and I didn't realize that it was that complicated. Uh, I've told bits and pieces of it. I've never told the whole story, and I'm sure we won't get to the whole thing this morning. But, uh, hey, man, it, it, uh, it definitely made me realize how dysfunctional I was in my life, <laughs> and I thank God for bringing me to this place today, brother, because it was a journey. Yeah, that's awesome. But anyway, uh, I kind of got off on the wrong foot as a child. My, uh, I grew up in a single-parent family, and, uh, you know, I thought everything was okay. I love my mom. She did a great job, but not having a father turned out to be a big thing for me, mm. you know, and uh, he never told me he loved me. He never told me he was proud of me. He was there every now and then. But that one thing probably had one of the biggest impacts on my life. And I never I never realized it until later on in my life. Wow. When I was in the uh, fourth grade, my mother sent me away to military school because I was misbehaving in school. And to me, to her, that was good because she was sending me away to maybe get some more male, uh, you know, situation in my life. But to me, it was like pushing me away. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's kind of the way I took it. And I remember feeling uh, 
a little bit left out. Anyway, I got nearly all A's, and I became an altar boy. You know, that's that, what that halo is around my head, you know? <laughs> Catholic altar boy. That's right. <laughs> and uh, I, I put everything I had into sports. I won a lot of awards. I played all three sports, uh, got all A's. But later on in life, I realized this is part of my dysfunctional behavior was that it was all about achievement so that somebody would pay attention to me yeah. and love me. You know what I mean? Yeah. What sport What sport were you the best at? Baseball. Really? I was a pitcher, man. So you played football? Baseball and basketball. And basketball. I was a point guard in basketball. Awesome. Yeah. I wasn't that tall. Okay. <laughs> Still not. That's really cool. <laughs> Find all kinds of secret about Glenn. <laughs> anyway, so... Uh, when I went to uh, when I went to high school, uh, you know, I continued this uh, journey of achievement. Mm-hmm. I became sophomore of the year, and uh, I played all three sports again. But then I fell in love, man. I met a girl, and you know how it is when you're a teenager. And uh, her name was Sonia, man, and uh, she was the most beautiful thing I ever saw in my life. Mm. You know, I used to walk five miles each way to her house every, every time I went over there. You know what that is? I've heard your story. True, true story. <laughs> true story. It was, that, it was that way, man. Man, that's awesome. But, you know, it was also my first uh, sexual encounter. Mm. And, you know, we never thought it was anything wrong with it at that time. We never grew up thinking there was anything wrong with doing that. But it turned out that it was not obviously the right thing to do. But... Uh, it was a beautiful thing. But anyway, after almost a year of dating her, her mother called me in and said, uh, I want to talk to you, Glenn. And I said, okay, and went over to her house. And she said, I'm breaking up you and Sonia. And I asked her why, and she said, it's because uh, you're not good enough. So, you know, with all the other stuff packed on top of that, that sent me in a wrong direction. So I got involved with a, with a gang. And we did a lot of destructive things. We got a lot of fights. We destroyed property. We stole cars. We got in trouble. And uh, my grades began to slip. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden, uh, Glenn started uh, going a little crazy. Mm. Then I joined the Marine Corps. And uh, again, one of the reasons why I joined was because another parent told me I wasn't good enough for their daughter. Turns out that was one that I ended up getting married to later on. Wow. <laughs> it was so funny. Not that funny, but anyway. <laughs> you know, it, it, was, uh, it, was, it was just like I, I wanted to go. I wanted to serve. You know, I was gung-ho, and so I joined. And it uh, turned out to be a, a, a difficult experience. Yeah. I loved the Marine Corps. I loved the United States of America. But uh, my trip to Vietnam was not a pleasant one, Okay. You know, war is hell, and uh, no matter how you feel about this country or how you feel about uh, what you want to do, and I was ready to die for my country, uh, when you go to war and you're 19 years old, it changes everything in your life. You know, you become a different person. You see things that impact your life in such a way that it's very difficult. You have memories. You have moments where you, you just don't know what to do. And, you know, when I came back, uh, I didn't fit in, man. I felt like I wasn't didn't belong here when I came back. When I came back to the L.A. airport, we had people spitting on us back then. Mm. They called us murderers. They thought that, you know, we were going over there to murder people instead of actually fight for this country. And we were fighting for the freedom of the South Vietnamese, but most people over here thought we were just thugs and murderers. 
And uh, that's the way they thought of us. It wasn't like the respect that servicemen get nowadays. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, man, that's rough. So it was rough. But anyway, uh, while I was there in Vietnam, we, uh, we realized that uh, we were fighting with one hand tied behind our back. The politicians, all the people in this country uh, would not let us win. And so we kept trying to invade North Vietnam. They kept bringing us back. We would go to invade it. They brought us back. And we would lose people, and people would die. And so the way that we coped with it was that we did, uh, we drank, and we smoked uh, marijuana, you know? And uh, so we, we would cope in that way over there. A lot of people got addicted to heroin. Mm. Uh, fortunately, that didn't happen to me, but, uh, you know, it happened to a lot of other folks. And we were very despondent in the way we had to fight that war. And when I came back, I was rebellious, and I did not fit into this society. I felt like I didn't belong. I think a lot of people that come back from war nowadays feel the same way. Yeah. You know? Well, so anyway, the same girl that they, uh, the father broke me up and I started dating again. And once again, had a sexual encounter and she got pregnant with my oldest son. And I thought, you know, the best thing to do was to uh, get married, even though I was so messed up inside. Mm. Had so many things tearing at me from different directions. Dysfunctional from the war, dysfunctional from the single parent family, dysfunctional from not getting the love and acceptance that I thought I needed, didn't have a father. All these things I didn't realize back then, Trey, you know, that I realize now, but yeah. all these things were like a Molotov cocktail inside of me. And here I was getting married with no, no clue how to do it. No clue how to be a husband, no clue how to be a father. So we made it through uh, eight years of marriage and three children, but I was so immature, and I don't know how, you know, whether this hits you as a father, as a young man, but when my first son was born, I, uh, I became very jealous of the attention he was getting because it got deflected from me. Mm. And so I sought to have affairs with other women, to, uh, to drink more heavily, uh, and to escape my marriage because I thought I needed some attention and love. Mm. And I found it in the arms of other women. And so I screwed around on my wife for seven years. And uh, she knew it. She had a, a thought about it, but I never told her. Mm. And I still remember the night that she asked me, what's wrong, Glenn? And I sat her down on the sofa, and uh, we talked, and I broke her heart. You know, and it was one of the most difficult moments of my life because here was this beautiful woman that loved me so much and cared about me. As a matter of fact, she told me uh, when we got our divorce that no one would ever love me like she did. And it turns out that she was right. You know what I mean? And so uh, I lost that marriage, uh, and I was uh, working for a company where I was in the top 10 salespeople in the country. Mm. And uh, I had achieved so many things uh, that made me feel good. Once again, the achievement factor came in. All I could do was achieve, achieve, achieve to try to get attention. And uh, it was just like something inside of me that drove me crazy. Mm. It drove me to drink, it drove me to achieve more and to be you know, I wasn't myself. Mm -hmm. I became somebody else. And then I cheated, and I lost my job. And I came to Atlanta a broken man. 
And I also came with another addiction that was Valium. Mm. So now I had alcohol, Valium, marijuana, and I was a broken man. And so when I came to Atlanta, I went through a very despondent time. I was depressed. I was uh, lonely. And I remember living in my apartment uh, and just feeling like, you know, uh, I'm a failure. And so um, I remember one time just getting down on my knees and saying, God, if you're there, try to help me. And, you know, when I was a kid and I was a Catholic altar boy, you know, I knew about God. I knew about Jesus, but I never really learned anything. You know, it never stuck in my heart. Mm-hmm. There was no trail of faith that, that, uh, that I could lean back on and say, you know, I know God loves me or cares about me. Mm-hmm. So I had, I had no father, had no love, you know, and I felt like I was uh, lost and alone mm-hmm. when I came to Atlanta. So anyway, I got into more heavily drinking and drugs and uh, got married again, lost another marriage, lost a business, uh, had another child. And I remember sitting in my, uh, in my house in Woodstock, Georgia, and uh, you know I was despondent, I was drinking, and once again feeling a failure. And uh, it was part of that descent that went down to the bottom. And I was drinking, uh, drinking a beer, and, but the, the funny thing was, Trey, is that for some reason I started reading the book of Proverbs and uh, in the Bible. I don't even know how I got started, but I started doing it because I knew that I was, I was, something was wrong with me. Something was seriously wrong. Yeah. And I re- realized by reading the book that there were a lot of things I were doing that had the consequences of what the book of Proverbs said. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there were various things that happened to me because of my actions. So anyway... I'm sitting there drinking a beer one night, and I'm watching this evangelist on television. And uh, he was beautiful, man, because I was, I was pretty lit. <laughs> and I'm watching TV, and uh, it was a guy, he was just preaching up a storm about alcohol and drug use, you know. And I'm like, <laughs> man, yeah, that's me, man. That's me. <laughs> you got me, man. I'm thinking God is speaking directly to me through this man, you know. Yeah. That I'm, I'm you know, I'm sitting there. And all of a sudden, he looks out at the at the. TV screen, he looks at him and he goes, I'm talking to you out there with the beer can in your hand. <laughs> and I went, oh my God, God's speaking to me. You know, hallelujah. <laughs> I didn't realize there's probably about 10,000 other men doing the same thing, watching the same program. But then he said something, Dre, that had an impact on me for the rest of my life and has was sent me in the right direction of faith. He said, you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And that was the start so good. of my comeback. Come on. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so anyway, uh, I went out to obviously a little bit more, you know, because you know how we are, man. We keep on drinking, we have an experience, and we think, okay, well, that's, that's good, but, you know. So anyway, I met another woman, and, uh, and we, uh, we had what we call a three-day date. You know what I'm talking about, right? Uh-huh. Okay. So, anyway, it was so funny because I told her that I think I'm coming toward faith. I'm coming toward the Lord here. Still drinking the. Still drinking. Gotcha. Still, 
I gave up Valium. I got off of that somehow. Okay. From the TV evangelist? No, no, that was before that. Okay. <laughs> the TV man, I started sending, you know, it's funny, I started sending money to his ministry. Yeah. And I started prospering. Yeah. It was so funny, man. I mean, I wasn't, I didn't write that down or do anything, but that's what happened, man. I would send him what I collected over here, and God would prosper me, and I was still drinking. Yeah. I was like, God, why are you blessing me? You know, I'm still not, I'm still dysfunctional. That's interesting. I'm not that good of a dude, you know. Spiritual balls. So anyway, I, I we we uh, went on that three day date, and she had a bunch of Bibles all around her apartment, like six Bibles, and uh, you know, I talked a little bit about coming to the Lord, but you know, we had a weekend of of drinking and partying and sex, and anyway, I went home, and uh, she asked me. Uh, we we talked on the phone after I went home, and she said, "Let me ask you a question." If you were coming to the Lord, do you believe that what we were doing this weekend is right? And Trey, it was like somebody just dropped a dead weight on me or put a bomb in front of me. And I realized that the answer I was about to give was going to light the fuse. And I said, you know, you're right. What we were doing was wrong. And I'm so sorry. I mean, it doesn't have anything to do with you. What we were doing was wrong. And we agreed to talk the next day. So I went over to her apartment. And the talk lasted less than 10 minutes. And we realized, she said, I'm going in a different direction than you are. I'm happy with my life. I said, well, I want to change my life, you know, so I need to act like it rather than just talk about it, you know. And I tell you what, Trey, when I left her apartment, my feet weren't even touching the ground. Because all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, I realized that I had stood for something beside myself. I had stood for God even in my own dysfunctional way. Mm -hmm. I walked out on a perfect situation. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. I walked out. So next, uh, next morning at 2 o'clock in the morning, she called me. Now, this woman was a cocaine addict and had tried to commit suicide seven times. So I knew that there was some difficulty in her life. But I didn't want to hurt her, so that's why when I walked out, I wasn't going to call her again. She called me at 2 o'clock in the morning. She said, Glenn, nobody has ever stood for anything in my life besides you. You're the first man that stood for anything, and uh, I'd like to get to know you better. So the next night, I went over to her apartment, and there was no sex. We talked all night. It was the most beautiful conversation I ever had with a woman. And then shortly thereafter, we decided we wanted to get married. Now, this is where the story gets really good, Trey, okay? The guy that sold us the rings went to a church in Sandy Springs, mm -hmm. and uh, he said, why don't you ask my guy to marry you? And she'd been married a couple times, and I've been married a couple times, so uh, we went over there, and this guy's name was Bill Long, who was the pastor of a church, uh, Sandy Springs Church of Christ. Wow. Bill listened to our story for four hours. And he shook his head several times, uh, more than several probably, at uh, the things that we told him. And then he, he looked at us and he said, well, I guess I'll marry you because I know God will forgive you. And it's not up to me to judge you. It's my job to point you in the direction of the one that can change your life. And they married us and they studied the Bible with us. Uh, we quit cold turkey. I was baptized. I came to the Lord and gave my life to him. A month later, she gave her life to the Lord, 
and came to him. And for the next several years, we got involved in a recovery ministry. The church was uh, loving on us and helping us through it. You know, I didn't have any A's. I didn't have any NAs, AAs, 12 steps, nothing. It was just cold turkey. Wow. The Lord, boom, we quit. Cocaine, alcohol, marijuana, everything. And uh, we had, we had uh, a couple of kids. But the problem was is that when we got married and we got sober, we didn't realize who each other was. And so we had a very, very difficult time. And her having all this dysfunctional background and me having all this dysfunctional background, it just was like a Molotov cocktail. Once again, you know, uh, we, were, we were not understanding who each other was. We loved the Lord, and she helped me, and we got involved in ministry, but we were very unhappy, and we did not know how to fix it. Yeah. Many people tried to help us in the church, but we could not, we could not bring it back. And then there was another divorce. And uh, we had started a ministry at the church, a recovery ministry. But the funny thing was, Trey, is that after the divorce, after the divorce, the ministry grew. I got more involved in it. Maybe it was the achievement thing in me. Maybe it was the drive to be successful. I don't know. But all of a sudden, 20 people turned into 150 people over six months. And it's still going strong today. Wow. You know, uh, 20 some odd years later, the ministry is still going strong in North Atlanta. Uh, they moved the church from Sandy Spring to North Atlanta. It's amazing. It was good. So then I came to Campus Church and uh, got married again, okay? <laughs> still not knowing how to be a husband. I was becoming a pretty good father, but really still had no real clue how to be a great yeah. husband, you know? Yeah. So anyway... We started ministry at Campus Church, and then Across the Bridge was born in 2009. And uh, again, we had about 20 people in a ministry, and all of a sudden they grew larger and larger and larger, okay? And then, uh, to be honest with you, I just had to go make some money, man. I was spending too much time in the ministry. It wasn't something I was getting paid for. So I went, I went into the car business, started buying cars. They hired me on full-time at a dealership in Daphne, Alabama. I left across the bridge in the hands of some other people to maintain it, and it maintained itself for several years. And then in uh, 2016, my son uh, was killed in a motorcycle accident. Mm. And when I came back to Atlanta, his wife asked me if I would do his funeral. It's probably the toughest thing I ever did in my life, Trey, because no, nothing prepares you for the loss of a child, but it was fortunate that I had 30 years clean and sober when he died. It hit me like, uh, I still remember my roommate, Casey, telling me when he saw my face when I took the phone call that Paul had died, it was the worst thing he'd ever seen in his life. My face must have been contorted like a meth addict, I don't know. It was the most despondent I've ever been. Nothing prepares you for that. Mm. And that five-hour ride from Alabama back to Atlanta was, uh, was a time when God and I spoke. Probably the deepest my faith has ever been. I didn't want to take phone calls from anybody. I didn't want to take prayers from any, anybody. I just wanted God to speak to my heart. Yeah. And we had a conversation on the way back that was probably 
the, the closest I've ever been to the Lord. And he just said, something's going to happen good out of this. I know you don't see it right now, but something is going to happen out of this. It's good, and I've got him. When he was nine years old, he came to the Lord, and I baptized him personally. And so I knew he was in God's hands. Yeah. And so I looked out at the audience while I was doing the, while I was doing the service. It was packed, and there were, there were all different types of people there, <clears throat> many different ages, many races, but mostly young people. And God spoke to my heart in that, in that service, and he said, Glenn, these are the people that you're going to go back and help, the young people, the ones that are really hurting and difficult. And they all talked about how Paul had helped them in their life. I didn't even know my son was such a, such a, a, a encourager, such a helper to people. And it just got laid it on my heart. Hey, you're coming back to Atlanta, and we're going to make a comeback here. You're going to come back into this ministry, mm-hmm. and great things are going to happen. And so a year later, I came back to Atlanta. And across the bridge at the time, it had probably, again, about 20 people in it, you know. And then we started going out to recovery houses and talking to people out there. And they said, we want you to come and, and do meetings at our places. And I would go to them, and they would come to us. And pretty soon, 20 grew into 70, which grew into 80. And that's kind of where you and I met. And we talked about doing some great things together. And we started doing these celebrations, and 100 people would show up, and then you know, 125, and then, you know, it, you started Good Landing, and everything just kind of worked together, and everything was going great. And then the church kind of stopped us from having one meeting during the week, and I realized that we had, we had outgrown the church. We had become so relevant in the community that we're about to burst, and we needed a place to burst at. Mm-hmm. We needed our own place. And so you and I had that conversation. I had the conversation with the people at campus, and we decided, okay, we need to start our own 501c3, have our own building, and have a place where people can come and be accepted and loved in the same way that uh, that God loves us. Yeah. And so that's when we expanded across the bridge to our own 501c3. And now, you know, it's it's amazing, man, with your partnership. Uh, you know, and with Life Church, with Daryl, who did the podcast yeah. last week, we bought him a board, okay, about a year ago. Mm-hmm. They didn't want us there, but then we talked them into it, yeah. okay? We started with 17 people, had 192 people at a celebration. With all that combined, all of us, we bought more than 200 people to the Lord this year. Wow. Through Across the Bridge and through all the, the different people that partner with us. Yeah. Good Landing and all the recovery houses and Amazing. Life Church. And, and Trey, we hit an amazing 774 people during the Thanksgiving week, and we fed more than 400 of them, and lives are being changed. People are coming to our building. We're going to them. Mm-hmm. We've got 14 meetings a week now. And from all the dysfunction that I had as a child, I learned, I learned a most important thing, and that is that in everything that I do, in all the volunteers that we have, I try to show them the love and acceptance that I never got as a kid. Yeah. I try to show them the love and acceptance that the Lord had for me, that Bill Long had for me that day, had for me and my wife, and said, hey man, I'm not gonna judge you. I'm just gonna love on you, and I'm gonna accept you, and I'm gonna help you to find the Lord. That's what he did, and that's what we do for people 
that we serve every day. Yeah. Yeah, and that, you know, I, I've always seen that on you. And I just feel like you're a, you're a dad to this whole recovery community, you know, here in Gwinnett County and, and the way that you love people, the way that you pastor them. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's really remarkable just to see what, what God has called you to and how he's used all that and even a place of, you know, that was pain for you on the front end, you know, that now you love from that place and, um, you know, from a father's heart and, and that perspective. And, you know, I really almost feel like this could be a, a second episode here on the comeback, but, you know, I hear so often when, when people go through great tragedy and that there could be a turning away from the Lord or even a relapse. And, you know, and like you said, I mean, you, you had 30 years sober and, um, you know, that, that helped sustain you and, and probably, you know, that you were grounded in, in this new way of life. But um, just remarkable to say that, you know, that, that it could have been an excuse to throw in the towel, but instead of, of you using that as, as that dark time to say, you know what, God, you know, you weren't there for me. You didn't do what I think that you ought to do, so I'm going to turn my back, that you actually responded to the Lord and then you know, allowed him to be able to use that to drive you back into where you're supposed to be. So, you know, there's no real reason for me to, you know, to do some drawn out conclusion on here. The content was in your story and it was beautiful. And it was, you know, I'm so glad that we actually have it recorded. And I know that it's going to inspire and encourage so many people. And so we just love you, man. And, and so grateful for you. I love you too, brother. Awesome. We're about ready to do some great things, man, together. Amen. Amen. 2020. Amen. Let's do it. <laughs> That's our year, brother. That's it. Really cool. Amen. All right, let's go get a cup of coffee. We'll see y'all next week. Guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to serve you. If you or someone in your family is struggling with addiction, please give us a call. It's 770-570-7422.